Hello and welcome to Equine Voices Podcast. My name is Ronnie, an intuitive equine communicator. I hope you enjoy this episode and thank you for listening. Welcome to Equine Voices. My name is Ronnie and today's interview is with the lovely Dr. Susan Fay. And this is my second interview with uh, Susan. And today she's going to go into a lot more details about the ethics and the reason why she works in her particular way to do with the horses, their reaction and what they'd like to share. We'll also be talking about a few other things and hopefully something interesting at the end of the interview that uh, you'll be looking forward to hearing about. So without further ado, I shall bring in Susie. Hi Susie. Hello, how are you Ronnie? I'm fine. Welcome. Quick introduction, just in case people don't know who you are. <laughs> yes, I'm Dr. Susie, and I'm in Colorado right now. And, and I wrote a book called Sacred Spaces, and it's about communion with the horse through science and spirit. So I'm very interested in blending those two things together, our science part and our spirit part, and not separate them. And then by knowing ourselves fully through our science part and through our spirit, that we can start to find out who we are and how we actually live in this world and communicate with other beings. And my whole thing in my later years of my silver years of life is to pass on whatever knowledge I may have come across during my life that can help other people with their horses or with their other animals or their human partners. So that is my my little spiel, I guess. You can always go look me up and find my Facebook group and look at my website. I finally got that going. So it's drsusanfay.com. So that's about everything. And you're welcome to look at those sources and see what other people are experiencing with the things that I teach. So thank you, Rodney. You're welcome. And you also have your book. Do you want to talk a little about your book for those that don't know about it? In 2019, well, it was before that, you know, it usually takes a long time to write a book. I just had this really strong knowing that I was supposed to put into words some of the things that I had experienced during my time interacting and training horses and just living on a ranch. It was things that I didn't think people would come across necessarily in their regular life, or if they did, they didn't get a lot of credit for them. They were made fun of or, you know, ridiculed and other horse people would make fun of them for the different ways they were doing things. And I thought, well, if I write a book that really goes into the science of why all this energy stuff works, maybe that will give people some sense of relief and something to look toward or to, to give them the validity to move forward and do these things. And the confidence that it works and knowing they're not crazy. It was funny, I had a poll on my uh, Facebook group and it's like one of the questions was, well, this is a group for those people who are weird, you know, and I find that kind of funny because for me, having done this for a majority of my life, really studying energy and how the brain works and all that stuff, I find it quite normal. I think I'm quite normal until I get around the normal people and then they look at me like there's something wrong with me. Why would you think that way? And I'm well, because I've lived this for so long. It's not weird. And, and so it takes me aback because now I really surround myself with people who work in this realm and who have these beliefs that there's something beyond just our way that we've done it and that there's energy and 
learning about all those things and how it works and how we can replicate what we do. So it can't be something out there because everybody can do it. And that's really my focus is I will show you those really simple things and you will be able to do this just the same as I can, or maybe even better than I can. And that's really my goal is like, just reawaken your natural abilities, your natural senses that you have. And they're not limited by what we think they are. Not the five senses. There's a whole lot more. And when you engage all of those senses, you start to see the world in a different way. And that's what I love is like just opening up to seeing the world in a much broader sense and experiencing it in a bigger way. Like your group that you have, Sacred Spaces, it's a lovely group. And lots of people, well, most of the people there have read your book or they're about to read your book. And then they go out and practice some of the exercises that you've written about. And the feedback is lovely when you hear the stories. It's such a nice place to be and just see from the tiniest thing. It is special, the tiniest thing. And once you notice that, that leads you on to a whole new world of an amazing adventure and experiences. I smile to myself because I'm aware of that through my work, but I'm by no means an expert in anybody else's field. It's just through my own work, but it has a similar feel. So I love being part of that group. It's really nice. And it's a, a nice group of people. We've got quite a few comments. We've got quite a few people. <laughs> so Kathy Hammond says, hi. She's a sports massage therapist and she knows my horse. She's been out to Toots a few times. Oh. And she's um, recently bought your book after seeing the interview that we did last time. And she's joined the group, which is lovely. And here's Kathy. Grabby, she's wonderful. I'm just going to go through these so we don't take too much time and we can get back to the conversation because I don't want to ignore people. Let me know if you know these people. So you know, Gail, she does wonderful animal communication. Oh, wow. Catherine Price, who was on before, she does wonderful healing. She does. Oh, yeah. She yeah. has experienced some of Kathy's uh, amazing energy. That's, yeah, I talked about that with an interview with Kathy. Of course, I've seen Jerry at a clinic in Michigan. You're going to make me cry before I even start. So Laura from Germany. Oh, hi. Wow. Okay, you're not supposed to do this to me because I'm like going to lose it here in a minute. Right. Let's get back to what we were chatting about. So on our last interview, we touched on what you've talked about now. Can you explain, if you're dealing with trauma, so you communicate with horses for lots of different reasons, but when it comes to trauma, do you want to talk a little more about that side of it and why certain things are really, really important when you're dealing with a horse that's releasing trauma? And that would be the same for, for a human. The things that you're talking about, you would want that in place for a human too, for the same reasons. Okay. And just kind of a note on this. When I started this and when I wrote the book and before I was really doing a whole lot of going out and working with people, I didn't realize the level of trauma that horses were holding and that they experienced through different training methods that they went through or just life experiences, just like people do. We all accumulate this trauma over time. And, and if it's pretty significant, then it can actually begin to interfere with the ability for us to relate to other people, to connect to other people, and to form strong bonds. And for that reason, I, I started looking at this, too, within the horses. They have the same problems. People came to me struggling to get a connection with their horse. 
But the problem wasn't that they weren't doing the right things. They were doing all the right things to have a connection, but it wasn't happening and they weren't getting through to their horse. And when I was with that horse, I began to realize, well, the reason you can't get that is because this horse has so much trauma, it cannot bond with anybody. It doesn't even know who it is. And and that's when I started to develop some different ways of like, wow, what are we going to do? Because these horses need help. Just like people with trauma, these horses are experiencing something very similar to PTSD in humans. And what can we do to help them to resolve their trauma? Is it the same things we do with humans? You know, and so it started me down this different route of really looking at this relationship that I'm trying to help between the person and their horse. What level of trauma on either end is causing this not to work out the way each one of them wants it to? And how can I help that? And it's really taking in my PhD dissertation was on the effects of trauma on our lives, essentially, our health and our our mental and physical health. So I had a great deal of research in that area, although that's not where I wanted to go and work. I thought, oh, I've done my dissertation and I'm done with the trauma piece and I'm just going to go and have a wonderful time working with horses and their people until I realized, oh, there was a reason why I spent all those years studying that particular topic. It's because it was going to come up in my life and be very important that I knew what to do with that and how to address some of these things. So just getting back to that, it's becoming one of those things that I have to address almost with every horse and owner that I come across. There's some level of it there. And when we can clear that out, then the real relationship can start to get stronger and the bond can grow and there won't be these things that are causing energetic blocks to that relationship. And really experiencing that heartfelt, that communion that I talk about. So long story short, I get on this thing of like, how do I help horses with trauma? And I realize that it's much different than with humans, that they don't hold on to things the same way we do. They are much easier. They let go of it much easier. But we just give them permission. They go, oh, you mean I don't have to hold that? I'm like, not if you don't want to. And they go, oh, okay. I think it might be the very reason that people say the horse lacks a prefrontal cortex, so therefore it can't think, which that's a whole nother topic I don't buy into entirely. But at the same time, the lack of a prefrontal cortex causes that horse to be able to let go of things easier because I think they don't then ruminate about something the same way we do. You know, think about we get traumatized and what does our brain do? It goes through the whole thing and it thinks about all the anger and it, it just continues to think and think and analyze and, and do all these things, that, which actually just solidifies that trauma even greater. And I think horses experience a trauma. It gets stored in their body, in some place in their body. And when we can point that place out to them and ask them if they're ready to let it go, they go, oh, I didn't even notice it was there, but yeah, okay, I can let it go. But humans have to support that horse in a different environment that doesn't create more trauma of the same type to fill back in again. So there's this really complex interaction that has to happen and and knowledge about not just what is the horse's trauma, but what triggers that trauma, what might cause it to reappear and take steps to make sure the environment is going to support the way that horse is going to move forward in its life. 
without trauma. I, I sometimes see people, oh, I took a class on trauma and now I can do all this work. And it's like, you have no idea how complex this really is and what all you have to know to do it in a way that's not harmful to the person or the horse, that you can actually help resolve this. That's kind of my little spiel on it. There's not a lot of research on trauma in horses because it wasn't all that long ago that most people believe that horses don't even have emotions, so they couldn't possibly experience trauma, right? I mean, to me, it's one of those things I can't even wrap my mind around that somebody would not believe that an animal has emotions. And that was, again, getting back to, well, they can't process an emotion because they lack a prefrontal cortex. And and so I don't know what they think, how that happens. But I I went and said, you know, I thought about that for a long time when I would read these books about, well, of course, it can't have this because look at the science. Okay. And what is my book? Science and spirit. We have to look at both of these things when we make any decision. Yeah, scientifically, logically, that makes sense. But what I see and experience in my life is not congruent with what their findings were. Why? What else could be going on? And so that's where I go into, hmm, how else could a horse experience or process an emotion? Perhaps it's not in an organ or in the brain the way that we do. Maybe it's in a different state of consciousness. Maybe they actually process emotions through their heart because the heart is the place that processes emotions. So maybe that's how they do it. I don't know, and I won't ever be able to prove how it is, but I know to the depth of my soul, I know they experience emotions. So I think it, it's like as scientists, we need to kind of go outside of what we've been told and what we think is right and look at more possibilities. Because if we can't see it as a scientist, if we can't see it with our eyes, we tend to discount it. We discount anything we don't see. But what if you're an empath and you feel it, and, but you can't make that valid? Your feeling is not valid with science, right? So you get discounted because you felt something and you don't know how to quantify it. So this is where it, it gets into that murky place where I, I walk in both worlds. I'm a scientist, but I'm an actual empath that feels and sees and experiences the world in a much different way than, than just through my logical part of my brain. And mm -hmm. that's why I, I think it's, there's parts of me that say people discount what I do, but I can only tell you what I see as a result to drive me forward to do more. And perhaps someday we'll be able to figure out why it works in a more scientific way. But at this point, the results are what matters. The fact that I can do something each time with a horse with trauma and see it be released, feel it be released, know it's released, and then see that horse move forward in a different way in its life, in its relationships with other animals and it's human. That's the validity. And and so I, I kind of want to give people that freedom, perhaps, you know, because there's this tendency that we're always saying, well, you have to follow the science, but you don't realize the science is limited because they only see what they're looking to see. 
They're only looking for what they expect to find. And if you have and engage other senses and experience the world differently, you realize that there's other ways to feel and experience this world rather than just the science that can be measured. So that's kind of where I'm working from, just so you know. I can't say 100% for sure everything that happens, but I'm working from the science as my background and my foundation, but I'm infusing it with a whole bunch of spiritual and thinking outside the box and how does consciousness work and all of those things we don't really know. So I think that gives us that kind of really broad palette from which to work, you know, and draw and just move forward with this with the intent always of do no harm. Mm-hmm. Do no harm. Like, as humans, we like to see proof or we like to see something because that's how we've operated for so many years. And it's the unseen that's sometimes the hardest to explain. But as you've explained, you feel it and then you see it. And that's like the old um, saying, uh, show me it and I'll believe it. And they say, no, believe it and I'll show you it. And it's funny because I was having a conversation with Kathy today, actually, about something. And I know, even though I do what I do, when I'm with clients' horses and when I'm talking to clients, and I can connect with animals that are no longer here. So I don't go search for them. They come through if I'm with somebody. But my head sometimes in certain scenarios wants to see proof before it allows me to say oh okay I'll meet you halfway here I can see proof now and that's when you get the conflict and I can feel it within myself Mm -hmm. and it's like but I know this so why am I doubting this and sometimes I think it's because when you say words like this not everybody wants to hear them or is ready to hear them and to step into that place to speak your truth is very vulnerable and putting yourself out there for all to see. And I'm doing that more and more each day. I've got friends and people that I've met through this, amazing people. And another lady, her name's Pat Cleveland. She was one of my first interviewees and she has a similar ethics to you, but she comes from a shamanic and other way. So the language is more that way inclined, but she also has a scientific, I'm not sure to what degree background. So she comes on that from both sides and she's passionate about what she does and she's trying to be heard. I think it's really important for, for people like Pat and yourself to be seen, to be acknowledged for what you bring to this world and what you bring to the horses and what you bring to us because it's a learning curve and knowledge is to be shared but not to be used and abused or for your own gratification. And I say that lightly because when you get excited about something, you want to tell people and you want to share because it's exciting. But you have to think about what does this mean Am I in this moment or am I out there thinking, wow, look what I can do. Look at what's happening. And it can be from an excited point of view. Right. But if you're not grounded and you don't think of the bigger picture, then it takes you down a different route. So staying grounded, staying humble and honoring the horse because the horse is our priority. 
we we have to get there through the human, but it's the horse that we are working with. That is the core of the work that you do and the work that most people do. Body workers, intuitive, energetic people, that's what they are there for. You know, they want to help the horse. Um, but they've got to sometimes get around the human. <laughs> Before we go any further, we've got loads more people, which is lovely. Jane, she's a close friend of mine. She's from the UK and she's an energy worker. So she works with horses, with people and animals. And her work takes on lots of different routes. And she always says that she goes in, but it's the energy working through her. She goes off to another place sometimes and it's the energy that's working through her. She's always very humble and she explains that to people. We've got Phyllis. These are probably your friends again, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful people that have found this place and maybe just looking for that validity, that it's okay to be you. It's okay. Hi, Jane. I'm going to point Jane out because she's the reason my book found work. Sure. She wanted to stay humble and quiet about it, but I'm going to call her out. And, and say thank you, Jane. Oh my gosh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you, Jane. Because if I had to listen to Warri, I wouldn't have asked you. <laughs> and I'm still amazed that you said yes, Susie. <laughs> <laughs> and there's Gail. Gail, that's beautiful. And and I think what Gail just said is really key because there is no manual for this work. I would think that most people that are doing this would say the same thing, that they're working through the energy and it comes through them and you're directed by the energy in the moment. And it's almost like you don't have conscious control of that. And I believe as we go into the horse world with this thing we do, it's so different because it isn't a manual. It isn't based on step one, two, three, four, five. It is based on principles from which you work and you do this. And it's it's very unsettling for people to go, what is your first step? I don't know. And how do you help people with their horses if there's not a systematic way to do it? So all I can say to that is if you work on yourself and you become energetically coherent and you know what your energy is and you know what you're communicating through your energy, the need to follow some systematic training method is not necessary. I find that if the things that I've done internally and the work I've done on myself and how I understand the energy, it makes it so easy to train a horse that it's almost like you wouldn't need a manual. I hate to say this, not to give anybody going, oh, you just do this and everything works out just perfectly. No, it takes years of knowledge and, and practice, but you realize how much our human brain tries to make things really difficult. And if they're difficult, then they must be worthwhile. I have showed people some very simple things and they go, it can't be that simple. And I'm like, it is that simple. Once you have a foundation in yourself, it's that simple. And you know, I think, well, that'll put me out of business. As soon as everybody gets all the the other piece and then they'll be able to do everything and they won't need all these different techniques and the manuals and the 52 steps you know it's all going to become really unnecessary once you build the relationship you don't have to have all the other stuff and and that's going to get me in a whole lot of trouble from all the people who are behaviorists and it's like yes but it's stimulus response and all this and it's like it can be partly that but 
It can also be relational, and it can also be about a really simple way of communicating, like, okay, well, let's go do this. And the horse goes, okay, well, we'll do that. Cool. It's what I'm bringing to the table that attracts that horse to me or not. It's how I am that determines how that horse will be. And it doesn't matter how many steps I had before I understood this to the degree I do now. I went through all those training things and they never worked the same way as they did for the person teaching them. And I always asked, why? Why doesn't this work for me? I did everything right. I would study those videos down to the nth degree. I'm moving in the right way. I'm doing all this stuff. I didn't realize that, wow, the part that they weren't telling me was the most important ingredient was me. It was getting rid of the doubt in me, getting faith, getting knowledge of myself and who I was and what I was thinking at any moment and what I was feeling. Those were the important things. Then the rest just fell into place. And I would encourage people, it's like most of these systematic training methods require us to be in our thinking part of our mind. And there's a lot of electrical activity that happens when you're thinking. And when you're going, oh, I wonder if it's this step. Is it this step now? Should I be doing that? What do I better feel that foot there? And I better make sure that one steps over here. That is what actually blocks it from happening. All of that thinking, all of that analysis. And when you get into a, the flow with your horse, the mere thought perceives what happens. And you realize like, why did he just do that? And I just thought of it. It's because you were connected energetically. He got your message. He said, how did you ask? In a nice way? Cool, I'll do it. And again, I don't want people going out there and going, oh, I can just make a picture and get my horse to do anything. It's a little more complicated than that. And it takes a lot of practice, but you can get to that point where it's very simple. I don't know what else to say about that other than there's some things you need to do to work on yourself to get to that point. But once you get there, you realize like, oh my gosh, this just flows. And that's what I want people to experience. If I got to get there And that's what really motivated me to teach it is that I experienced it and I'm like, okay, what just happened? I want to replicate this feeling and this experience. How? And that's what took me to the science of why it worked. And then I'm like, okay, so now knowing the science, how do I simplify this process for other people? How do I get them to experience that same thing that they're wanting? And so that's kind of my purpose in life now, I guess, in my silver years of life. I think you've got the most beautiful face and your energy is young at heart. And and that's what I see when I look at you. I'm not just fluttering you. That's what I see. (laughs) There we go. Um, And I I was smiling um, when you were talking there because it's about being authentic. When you say about working on yourself, so please correct me if you feel I'm wrong, but from my point of view, from my own work, you you have to be authentic when you're you're trying to connect to your horse. So it's not like if I do this, I'm going to get this reward. And it's not even like in words, but I'm not going to work on myself because I don't want to go there. They know that. And part of that working on yourself, it's going to help you big time because one, they want that as a species. They don't want you to carry that baggage because they know what it feels like, because quite often they're carrying it as well. And They want you to feel free and to feel authentic in yourself, whether you're scared, whether you're confident, whether you're 
climbing mountains or little stepping stones. They don't care about that. They just want you to be authentic and true in that moment. But that is the biggest growing experience that you can experience for yourself. And when you start working with your own mind and body, it's amazing because you can sense when your body is lying to you and you're saying something, but you know that, oh, this is a bit uncomfortable because I can feel this. It's almost like you have two people in the same room, the physical and the, the mind, the spirit, and they're all sort of, hang on, I want to speak first. No, you had your say, it's my turn now. And they're trying to get extra airtime. Yes. And when you get them on the same page and you get them on side, it's like, oh, oh, okay, that could benefit me. And you can play around with it. It doesn't have to be heavy duty stuff, but there are times when it can be that. And you've just got to get through that because the other side is so much better. And when you experience that, you also know what your horses or your friends or your animals are going to feel like when they've released what they need to do. Mm -hmm. That's beautifully. But it also speaks to the fact that I I get people who say, oh my gosh, I can't do this with my horse because I'm not perfect and I have all this stuff going on. And all I tell them is, you know what, the horse just wants you to be truthful and tell them. I've had the biggest releases with people. It's like, just tell him what your struggles are. Tell him what you're going through and that you're working on it and you recognize it. And the horse is over there having these big releases and and actually acknowledging that, thank you for telling me it's yours and that you're working on it. And it I don't have to hold that burden for you. It, and I always tell him, tell him it's, you don't have to hold my stuff for me. You don't have to hold any of my stuff. They will anyway, but I give them that permission. Like, I'm coming with this today, and this is heavy on my heart. And a lot of times I'll step up to the plate and come in and say, I'll help you today. And that's why if you think of a relationship that's a human one where everybody has their struggles, but the vulnerability and the ability to acknowledge, yes, you have a struggle, and that person goes, hey, I got you right now. I got you. I'm not going to fix it for you, but I got you. I got your back. And that's what I feel like this relationship with our horse is. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to work for decades to make our inner world essentially perfect. Because then there'll be people thinking, oh my gosh, I can't do anything until I'm perfect. No, no. We're all just working on ourselves. I have major struggles in my life a lot of times. And I'm like, okay, that came up clearly it's for me to look at and I need to figure out what to do about that. But it doesn't mean I stopped doing something. It doesn't mean that, oh, then everything else I did in my life or that I try to teach is invalid because I have a personal struggle once in a while and or often or whenever. I want people to be real and it, it's okay to be real and it's okay to be vulnerable. And that's how we get through this life and learn our lessons we came here to learn, I guess, and is to acknowledge them, be vulnerable, know that we're not perfect, and give ourselves the grace that we don't have to be perfect. We can make decisions that are wrong and not to beat ourselves up about it, but to go, okay, how do I not do that next time? I've seen the horses so forgiving, and I'm sure you have too. I think that it just feels like there's been so many people go, I shouldn't be doing this because I'm so broken. And believe me, I've been at a place where I thought I was so broken I would never be fixed. 
But my horses were always there, and I was honest with them. I'm broken. I don't know if I'll be fixed, but I'm going to work on it. That was beautiful, Susie. Thank you for sharing that. If you can explain when a horse is ready to release trauma, what would you um, do to facilitate that? So if you've got a horse that's, because there's different kinds of trauma. I mean, you mentioned that all horses have trauma and mine definitely has. And actually the last few days, more has come to light from way back, way, way back. So when you start that process, you explain to the client what you're going to do. Just give us a little brief detail of what sort of thing happens. One of the main pieces of of this trauma work is our ability to be in the present. And it gets back to why did I call my book Sacred Spaces? It's about going into that space where you don't judge anybody for what's going on. And you have to be able to be in a space and just essentially, I don't feel like I do anything other than create a space and hold it. And that's only my job is just to bring that energy and show people how to create that energy and then stay in it. And then it allows the horse to do what it needs to do. So essentially, I'm not doing anything to the horse other than creating that space for the trauma to be released and giving them permission to release it. It's funny, when I first started this trauma release process, it was almost kind of systematic. And I will often teach it in kind of a systematic way. However, I realize now that I don't have to do that, that I can just have an intention. And it almost happens before I can even verbalize it or think it. It's because that intention now follows me and is there. It's a hard thing to explain energetically, but it's almost like I put out there that this is what I do and horses somehow know it and it gives them that sense like I'm going to come to this place with you and I'm going to be the best and hold the best I can for you to release whatever you need to and whatever you're ready to and I think that's what you know we we talked a little bit you and I before about what are the ethics behind doing this work and Part of what I do with horses is I don't go in there going, I'm going to just release all your trauma today. Guess what? You get to let it all go. No, I'm going to let them experience what it's like to be in a safe space. And they may not feel safe in a safe space because the trauma itself doesn't allow their body to say, I'm ever safe. So I may go in and just be in that energy and let them experience it and then go away. And then I come back and I let them experience that again so that they can understand that it's not going to be something done to them. It is what it is. It's how I come into that space. And because I come in with that intention that you can be safe and let go of stuff, eventually they may be able to feel safe enough to let it go. And there are horses that are so traumatized that You will see them totally shut down so much that it's like, I'm not going to let go of anything. I'm not going to let it go. And I don't force anything. I let them make that decision because when they're ready, they'll come. So sometimes I may do a session and there's one little tiny release and that's all we get and that's all I ask for or that all I expect or I don't even want to say ask for or expect. It's all that I'm okay with all of that. I have to be okay with whatever they offer and not 
force more onto them or say, oh, look, I got one release. Now let's do a whole bunch because, you know, look at him. He keeps going and going and he's releasing more and more. I caution people, please, that it, it can be very fun and interesting to watch a horse release things. But think of it in this way that that horse can then release too much of what it knew as far as its own self, image, self, sense of self. And if you let go of too much of that trauma that was holding all of that sense of self together, that horse is left with nothing. It doesn't know who it is. And that's when we talk about people having a healing crisis. You did too much healing at one time. And even if the horse is willing to do it, it's too much at one time. And so they're left like, I don't even know who I am. And they can start having weird behaviors and they're just lost, essentially, because you took everything they knew from them. And then they're, they're, they're a shell of who they were. It's like, well, then now what do I do to create a foundation for who I now am after I let go of all my stuff? And that is the reason why ethically I don't do very much at one time with a horse. I will work with the person and say, okay, now he's released that. How have you changed to support this new horse that you've got? It has to be this kind of give and take and an actual monitoring of like, what is the environment? Is it creating that same trauma and it's going to go back in there? Or are you creating a new way of living, a new way of being, a new environment for this horse that supports a healthy, trauma-free horse? Okay, so this is why a lot of times people will move back and forth. I'm just going to give this an example. Sometimes dominance-based training creates a lot of trauma in a horse. And then you go, oh, I'm going to do this other way, okay, with nice and nice. And the horse is lost. It cannot make that big jump because what it knew is not the same as what you're asking. And so there's all these behaviors that come up and people go, see, that other way doesn't work. And it's the same principle. That horse can't make that big a jump. Like you think about women that are abused and you go, why don't they leave their husband? And they keep being abused, but they keep staying and they keep going back. It's because it's familiar. It's what their body knows. They don't have to wonder what might happen next. If we take those women out and we say, you're going to be okay. It's a big transition. Like they're going to need a lot of help to get a new type of life, attract different types of people into their life that aren't abusers. So for us to think that we can change a horse from, okay, you're used to this kind of training, now we're not going to do that, and think the horse is going to be okay, it's not. Even though it seems nice, it's very uncomfortable for the horse. So this is another reason why I take this very slowly. We make changes, and I make sure, like, you want to go to this different way, then with with the dominant stuff because that's going to create that horse to go back to where it was and you're going to have the same problem stick with the dominance if that's what you want to do come to this other if you want to change it and you want to help this horse you have a different type of life he's going to probably be okay in a certain way to stay in what he knows because i can see this happen a lot with horses it's like this horse there's a, an exercise I do where I ask the horse to do nothing. And that's when I can see when the trauma starts coming up in this horse. What do you mean do nothing? 
this makes me really nervous. You mean you're asking me something, but you're not asking me something? And you can see him just like lose it um, because I had no intention to do anything else. And they go, wait, I have to be doing something. And we have to start there. It's like, if this horse can't stand decks to me, and I ask him, actually not even ask him anything, but just put pressure on a lead rope just the slightest bit, and he loses his marbles, wow. He, this is a horse that has had every single step in his life controlled by a human. He doesn't know what to do if somebody isn't telling him every single thing to do. And how often I see this come up, and it's heartbreaking to me. And it, we can fix the horse from that. It takes a little bit of time, and it takes people to really know themselves and understand how they're going to resolve this problem and help this horse create a new type of life where he doesn't have to brace every time you ask him anything. That he can do everything in relaxation, knowing that he's going to be supported and you're going to be there. So that's kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> that was perfect, Susie. Thank you. I was mesmerized. I was really listening because some of the words that you were saying, I thought, yeah, that makes perfect sense. I, I, I knew what you were talking about, but it was a bit more depth. I think that's why it's important for people to work. It's a continual thing. So you're always working on yourself. You never get to a point that, oh, I'm done now. So why would it be any different for an animal? It's no different because you might have facilitated a place where the horse can let go, but something else might happen. And if you're not changing, as you said, what you're doing or more uh, about what you're doing with yourself, how you're seeing yourself, then that's going to creep back in in another form. Because sometimes uh, somebody will say, I've had this done to my horse and it's come back again. I like to say, well, actually, that thing hasn't come back again, but another thing that looks like it has come back again. Because right. once that's gone, it's gone. The same as when we work with ourselves. There are layers, and between each layer, there is more layers. Uh, and it feels the same, but it can't be the same because you've released it. And when you're working, you know that. But this is sometimes when you get confusing. Why does it feel the same? It's because... It's deeper and it's similar and it's no different for the animals that we work with. And I think it, it's like what I say is not what people don't already do for the most part that are are working from this heart space and, and doing this work. And again, I just want to give a shout out to them and say I see it and I understand and I'm supporting from here, I think of the time I went on a trip across the U.S. and I th think I spent about two and a half weeks and and I would see different horses. And on my drive home, I was just overcome by the enormity of the problem. And I thought, there's just no way in my lifetime that I can possibly make a dent in 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 this problem that I all these problems that I see but I think that the dent is taken out by more and more people coming in and doing valid work with this and doing their pieces and bringing this knowledge to the forefront and that it's okay it's okay to say these things that used to be not okay I mean I tried to say these even four or five years ago and people would roll their eyes at me and with not only disgust and disdain but totally just dismissive like i said i could write an article for your magazine which was all about this area and it's like oh well, we don't talk to you and i thought boy this has opened up recently 
in a big way. And this is wonderful. I can see like finally there's this little crack and it opened up and now this information and the people that are doing this are gaining more attention and people are gravitating to them more because they're seeing that the other ways are not helping and they're not working and what else can we do? So I just want to say to everybody doing it, embrace it and embrace what you're doing. And I thank everybody for being brave because I think it does take bravery to go against the, the norm. And what everybody believes is true. And I was never strong enough to do it before. I don't know what switched in my life. I think you hit a place where you just don't care anymore. You've been put down so many times that it's like, so show me something I haven't seen before. Do something to me that I haven't felt before. And to just go in your own truth and walk in that place and say, you know what? you. Believe what you want, but I'm going to keep saying this because sooner or later somebody will hear it and it will help somebody in their horse or somebody in their human relationship. I I just want to give people that because I feel like I was such a chicken for so long in my life that I didn't push it more and that I always backed down when somebody said, oh, I don't believe you. And I would go home and I would go back in my shell and, and go, God, there's just no point you know, to keep going. But there is, there, I will keep doing this. I will find a way. And I'm just thankful for Warwick Schiller and all these other people like you having these podcasts and getting this information out. That's how we do it from that place, that grassroots place where we talk and we talk about our experiences and other people go, wow, that worked for you. And they go, yeah, we'll try this. And it's all going to be safe. It's going to be okay. That's the beauty of your group because people that have just read the book, like I said earlier, they've gone out and had a play with it and it's worked and they're excited about it because they've done, as they say, very little and the, and the surprised it worked. And the thing is, from my own experience, again, my work and my personal, it, ch- it changes. And when you're using your sensitive side, your intuition, whatever you want to call it, it's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And when I say stronger, I mean the subtleness is more visible. And and where you get to, as you said earlier, you don't even have to really think about the intention it's there because you've used it so much that the energy is already forming before it gets to your brain. It's out there. It's the same with anything you do. The more you get in touch with that feel and trusting and play around with it, the the easier it comes along. And when I say easier, it doesn't mean you don't learn the next little bit because, yes, I'm an animal communicator and uh, I love what I do. But as with most people, when it's your own horse, you have your own baggage, you have your own um, agenda sometimes, even if you think you haven't, there's always an agenda even if it's just I want to be close to my horse that's an agenda sometimes and I've noticed after reading your book and interacting with people like yourself more and doing the podcasts and the interviews that I'm more consciously aware of what I'm doing with my horse for an example if I see that she's wanting to look somewhere else because there's a certain area where she is and if the wind changes, she's a little bit more distant. And I look at that and I, I don't like it because I feel that she's uncomfortable or she's worried. So it's not like a conscious feeling and I can catch myself doing it. 
And the last week, I've stopped myself in my tracks. Even if she doesn't want to use her shelter and she's out in the middle of the wind and the rain, if that's what she wants to do, then I've just got to be, that's okay. That's fine. I've almost got to let go of that, wanting to look after her in areas that I could do. And I have to do that. I have to keep myself in check. So our conversations, I'm learning more or adding to what I already know. So it's even better. The next bit's even better because when you catch yourself slipping back, then you can remember to bring yourself back into center, back to focus, back to balance. That's life. That's learning. Don't see it as a negative. I have a moment. I get mad with myself. And then I go, okay, that was then. Now is now. Because I know horses do not want that. Because when she goes away, you're too busy in your head. I'm moving away. So I know that. You know how far you've come when you recognize when you slip back into that old Mm -hmm. mode. And it can be a few seconds. But even that can make a difference if you stay in there too long. And that's playing around with the thoughts, the energy, and what you talk about in your book, Susie. I think you said it perfectly. And again, just to reiterate, it's okay to be human. The striving to be perfect is actually a problem. And I think many of us have suffered from that. Like, well, I'll get attention if I'm perfect. If I hide what I am and I look perfect on the outside, it'll be okay. And it's not okay. I feel like now there's times I'm so goofy or I think, why would anybody listen? Because I'm just kind of goofy. And then I think, no, but why are we not allowed to be who we are? Why do we have to pretend, put up a mirror, be something we're not. And we're taught to do that in our society. It's like, and oh, well, in this situation, you have to make sure you're like this. You know, you be professional in this situation, and then you can only be goofy in your other personal life. Well, why can't you just be you? That's my question. Why are we just so controlled that we have to put on this facade everywhere we go. And I'm kind of like, you know, this is what you get. The horse doesn't seem to have a problem with me, whether I'm goofy or not goofy. The more serious I am, they go, yeah, right. We don't like you like that. We like you just real. So just give yourselves permission, like you're you're saying, to make a mistake, to not be perfect. I feel like sometimes I'm just muddling through. Believe it or not, I'm just muddling through life. Just going with the flow and figuring out everything as it comes and um, doing the best I can and say, I did the best I could at that time. That's all we can do. Before we run out of time, and I know this was one of our important topics, if we can kind of flip it just a little bit back to the trauma piece, which was about why don't I have videos out there showing this process? And it it gets to this really sticky place where I'm going to tell you, I consider every single trauma piece that I do with a horse and their person as if it were a private counseling session or therapy session. And I would never want to put up a therapy session between a person and a person or a person and their family and have everybody view it and go, look at what this family went through and look at what they're working on and have everybody watch that. I feel like it's very sacred work that. This trauma is only between the person and their horse. And I may sometimes film it for that person so she can go back and look, but it's not for everybody to watch. And I feel like if I put it out there for other people to watch a horse having a trauma release, that I've 
actually violated the trust of that horse. And that I've said, hey, we're going to display this for everybody to watch. We're going to let everybody watch you work through your trauma. I have a hard time sometimes at clinics. We usually have a small group and we will have trauma and we'll work through it. But I think that's everybody in that space with the same intention and the same love and, and support for that horse. But that's one of the things I have a hard time with is if I see people go, oh, look at all these yawns and I'm doing all this work and look at this horse, let go of their stuff. And at some point, part of me, it just, it hits me. It's like, wow, that that's really tough to think about, be vulnerable, but actually to show everything to everybody. And I'm just never going to do it, even though people have said, show us how you do the trauma release. No, you can come and learn it from me, but I'm not going to show it in a video and that's why i totally understand before we went live we had a little chat about this didn't we and i asked you about when students are learning they sometimes video things because that's what they want to do and they want to understand and you, you said that the horses know the difference they know when they're helping the human side and and they will release what they need to release but in their personal space, they will release what they need to do for themselves. And I think if you're doing that work, you're in that moment, you're not thinking about this will look good on Phil, but we also understand the excitement of it. Especially if you're learning, you get excited because you think, oh, crikey, or, or even yourself, it's your horse. My horse is releasing me. I'm so pleased. I want to show somebody because it's genuine and it's excitement. But there comes a line that you don't want to go past that. And as you said, if you was a human and you saw an advert on the TV for therapy and they showed you somebody breaking down, I certainly wouldn't want to go there. But we don't think like that sometimes. We don't think rationally. And actually, sometimes it's as simple as how would you feel? Yes, they're a horse, but how would you feel? And it's being respectful for another being that's on this planet at the end of the day. So that was really well said, Susie. So thank well, you. I think you said it better than I said it. But, you know, <laughs> I, I think we all say it in the way we say it. And I think that's important too. It's like you can hear words and then you can hear someone else speak them. And then one of those will hit you in a different way. Each one will hit you in a different way or impact you in a different way. And and so I think this is what's really neat about you and, and other people that are getting this word out and interviewing people is that the more time people hear something and hear it in slightly different ways, the more impact it will make and the more it will infuse into their body and they'll be able to think about it in deeper ways. And, and that's what this is all about. It's like, don't just hear it from one person, but hear it from many, Absolutely. but each person with their own take on it. Yeah. And each person will be drawn to who they resonate with. So somebody on a scientific side will be drawn to that sort of viewpoint. Somebody on a spiritual will be drawn to that. That's why I mentioned you and Pat Cleveland. In fact, the more you spoke, definitely, because she wanted to hide away because she got judged. And yeah, she had quite an experience. And she thought, I don't want to do this. And I thought, but you're needed. You're needed. And she comes from her understanding and her growth. You will be attracted and drawn to whoever you feel is going to fit you. And then as your energy changes, you might be drawn to somebody else. Because mm -hmm. what feels right today might not feel quite right tomorrow. And it doesn't mean that was wrong. It's just that 
it's changed slightly because you're more aware of yourself and you're more aware of the energy that surrounds you and other people's energy. And I believe that words carry a vibrational energy and the intention is the strong part of it. And it's not verbal, but as humans, we hear the verbal and we see the people and that's what we're drawn to. But it's the vibration of of what that carries is the key to unlock something for somebody. And it might be their starting in their life that might be their next Dr. Susan Fay or or Pat or Jane or Kathy or myself. We want to create a spark so somebody thinks, okay, I'm going to look into this and see where that takes them. But people have got to be able to have a voice and somewhere to be heard for that to happen. And it is happening more. And, and don't be afraid of what other people think. That is the biggest thing. That's the hardest thing. I still have my moments and I will as, as everybody does. In fact, yesterday, I felt like I'd got imposter syndrome. I think how I'm working is changing because that's what came through for me. I sat there and thought, that's two courses I've seen. So what is that telling me? And I think it's because I've been shown that my work needs to evolve now because I'm comfortable I got to a comfortable space now but I need to evolve a bit more and and that's what I feel is happening I don't know where and I don't know how much but that's what I'm feeling in my energy that's when you get more about who you are you can tell when a change is happening and you can adjust and think about things rather than just think, what is the matter with me? Why am I in this mood? You know, why am I thinking these negative thoughts? It's just to show you, look, just pay attention. We're speaking to you. Yeah. So anybody got any questions for Susie or myself that you'd like to ask? And while they're thinking about it, do you want to talk about some plans that might be happening this year? I I might, and this is all in the theoretical planning stages, and, you know, depending on what happens worldwide and all that. There's a possibility I can come and see a whole bunch of people in the UK and visit there and just go around and and have more connections and and show you some of the things that I do. And then it would be just a beautiful experience, I think. And I I know from speaking to a lot of people there, they, they feel a little bit isolated sometimes because there's some little pockets of people all over England that say, well, I still feel like I'm judged. I still feel like it's not okay. And they're they're a little bit tentative about doing some things. And it's like, oh, wouldn't it be, be good to have more community, more people that you can talk to and, and support each other in doing things maybe a little bit different than everybody else does and feel like you're just out there floundering on your own. I, I love the idea. Everything I do is about building a relationship, not just with horses, but with people. And that's why my clinics are really small, is because there's no point in me trying to do this kind of work if it's just to get numbers of people to come. Mm. I'm looking for very specific people that get attracted to this work, and I know they're going to follow through and, and add their own little spin to it and integrate it into other areas of their life. And that's really what the point is, is that I go and we're creating this bigger group. So it's at the planning stage at the minute. Yeah, it would be July or so if we do it. 
yeah. first part of July. And it's smaller groups of people. It's not a big venue, is it? It's small groups no. of people that can facilitate. I think it's one of the ladies here is trying to organise that, who yeah. we're, we're going to have a chat yeah. with later when we finish the live, and then you can promote more about it. It's so funny because a lot of when I talk, it's really about, I wouldn't call it channeling. You'll notice that when I start on, on some tangent, <laughs> that there's a change. It, it, yeah. You can guys can notice this. I'm sure if you watch me talk a lot of times, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. And then it's almost like I let it go and it just starts coming, but it, it almost like comes out really fast and I can't really stop it. And a lot of times it's how I do a clinic, just so you guys know, because I've got to hold space and be in that sacred space, which is a certain brainwave pattern, talking in effect will take somebody out of that and put them into the beta, that higher brainwave. So just moving and talking will create more beta brainwaves. So I've had to try to figure out a way, how do I stay in very low alpha to theta brainwave and talk at the same time? So it's almost like a stream of consciousness so sometimes it seems like I'm talking really fast. It's because if I stop talking, then I'm back in my logical brain and it's going, oh, don't say that. Or here's how you got to say it. it. It just ends up being a stream of consciousness. So this is an interesting phenomenon with brainwaves and what things we can do within each brainwave state. And so I, I find it fascinating just watching myself like, wow, that you're just a motor mouth and you just keep talking. And that's so weird. Like you are such an introvert and you didn't even say three words in all of high school. So how are you now? This it just keeps coming out of you. And it's always been there, but I have to be in a certain place and then it just flows. I understand what you mean. It's similar for when I'm communicating. I'm just seeing if we've got any questions. Here's one from Jennifer. I need guidance on working with two horses, one in the arena and one in a paddock. I find when I work with one, my mind is on the other as well. That is a good one. And I've seen this happen many times. So you can put an intention out that each horse piggybacks on the other. So whichever one you're going to be interacting with primarily, you can give permission to the other horse to be connected to and taking in whatever they need from the interaction. And so that way, maybe that can help you stop thinking like, oh, I've got to pay attention specifically to that other horse. No, you can create this entire envelope of, I know this sounds weird, but you really can include everybody in that and then just put your main focus on the horse and just with the intention that whatever you're doing with that horse you're working on will, if it's appropriate, will be received by the other horse in that same area. They will know. They'll come in. They know what they need. So often I'm doing one horse and I'll watch other horses come and go and have releases on their own. And so if you just think of it as I'm just in this energy and, and whoever needs it gets whatever is there, it can maybe help you stay more focused on that. One of the things I find fascinating with horses is that if I'm doing a trauma release and I've got me and the owner and the horse, What's interesting, that trauma release process will actually create a real strong connection, the horse with us. But what's interesting, the horse will usually, if we're standing together, this person and I, the horse will come and split the middle of us. Like it'll walk up into the middle. It will acknowledge me. It will acknowledge the person or vice versa, you know, whichever they do first. But it's almost like that horse goes, I'm here in this space, but I know you're here and I know you're here. And I'm going to acknowledge that I am paying attention to both of you. So if we think of that, that we can be in that space and acknowledge 
everything else that's in that space that we connect to it. You know, that answered the question. I don't know. I think it did. Um, How about a quick stopover in Germany? Here's the really cool thing about Germany. I have a, this sounds so archaic. I have a pen pal. And and this is really funny because we started writing and we are at 50 some years of writing to each other. Wow. And she lives in Bad Humburg, Germany. And I've lived in the States and we have written and stayed connected for 50 plus years and so that'd be a perfect excuse to go over and visit with her so there you go laura just looking at the questions that's quite a good one people watching you well this is something that has taken me a long time and and at first i did i only work with a person and the horse because it's so difficult to stay in that multi-focused place you know, you're you're essentially doing that thing I tell you in my book not to do is like multitask. However, there is a part of your brain in a brainwave state that you can actually multitask in, which is where I go to, but it has taken years of practice to be able to get there. And so all I can say is I'm going to work with you this week. So uh, we could talk further about this particular um, topic. And I wish I could give somebody the instantaneous ability to do it but it's just like if you were going to lift weights and you started out and at first you could only do a few pounds and and you're really struggling and then as you practice and practice some more you do it pretty soon it's like oh that's so easy now i can lift look how much i can lift so it's kind of the same way with your brain if you can find that space and stay there i i tell people i don't care if you found that space and you can only stay there for a second that's a start Next time, maybe two seconds and you, you build up. And as your body and gets used to what it feels like in that state, because I work a lot on feeling, I have people like find that space and then know what it feels like in their body and really immerse themselves in all the senses about how does that feel in your body. And then when they want to recreate that space, I only have them think of that time they were there. And their body and their brain starts to go, oh, I know that. And they go, it takes you back. So there's some different tricks to bring yourself to that space faster and to stay longer. There used to be research that people can't stay in that flow state. This is essentially where I'm at. If you research uh, the flow or the zone, that's where I'm at. And there used to be research saying that people can only sustain that for a very short amount of time. and that's where I'm going. Well, science, I don't think you know everything because essentially I can stay in that space now because I've practiced for extended period, like days at a time. But it's going to take you being there first for a little bit and then going, oh, I got knocked out and then going back and then you get knocked out. And so it was where I went through like, okay, I found it. Oh, I'm not there again. Oh, I found it. I'm not there again. And it just was dedication to like, I'm going to just keep practicing, just keep Mm -hmm. practicing. The only thing I can tell people is, yeah, it takes some time to train your brain to go to those spaces and stay there. But once you have trained it, even though that training was hard and difficult, if you find it and you can sustain it, it makes the biggest difference in your life. You will never regret the time that you spent training yourself to be there. And there's lots of ways to do it. If you've listened to me, I don't do traditional meditation. 
you can use that as a way to get there. There's some other ways, just like there's not just one way to your destination. There's lots of different pathways there. And mm-hmm. you have to find the one that works for you. Some people love to do meditation and they, they should continue doing meditation. I just never had that luxury of time that I could spend just sitting doing nothing. And so I had to find other ways to find that same type of experience mm-hmm. uh, without traditional meditation. Yeah, I was just thinking if, we, if I'm talking with a client and I've gone to see the horse and, and they, you know, they're chatting, we're talking about something or we're just having a conversation. It's almost like the horse's ears, you know, when they're listening because they're thinking, OK, I'm going that way, but I'm listening what's going on here. As I'm chatting to the human, I'm aware of my senses of switched on here and there's this, oh, something's coming through now and the animal energy is coming through. So I'll say oh, hang on a minute, I I need to stop now because the animal's communicating with me. Or I'll be aware of what's coming because it might be showing me something in my body or saying something. But you get used to that. That's with practice. It's something that naturally happened. The intention, when you put the intention out to the universe that this is what I'm trying to achieve, it will show you, but you have to acknowledge it. And the only way I can describe that is if you're having a conversation um, say you're in a room somewhere or you're in a bar and you're chatting with a friend. I haven't been to a bar for years <laughs> and you're chatting with a friend and it's Valentine's Day today, isn't it? Um, and it's very quiet and there's nobody there, but you get a feeling that somebody's just walked in behind you. You know that, oh, there's somebody behind me feeling. Yeah, It feels like that. You, mm-hmm. it, that's what it feels like. So if you're wanting to understand from from that point of view, there's a feeling that somebody's behind you or somebody's just come in. That is the energy saying, I'm here. So you can pay attention to that and to that at the same time, just as the horses do. They are not focused on one thing because they're still listening for danger, predators, whatever they want to think about. And the more you acknowledge it and say, I felt that, and it might go away with a few seconds, the next time it comes along, you'll pay more attention to it, but you can still focus on what you're doing and it gets stronger and stronger. So you have two communications, two energetic forms. You can speak and you're channeling, but you're also listening to the horse. You're doing that yeah. way. I'm not sure if that is similar, but that's well, my perspective. thought it is easy as if there's like me and the person, probably like you and why I kept the clinics down to a smaller sizes and why people have to kind of be in alignment with what I'm doing and is because at the beginning there were large groups sometimes and I could feel that person I could know exactly what that person was thinking in the back row that's not working that's not do that that would just start to infiltrate in and it, it would draw just a little bit of my attention off that I had to go okay I got to block that somehow and I would go home because I had to block that I would be really really tired when I would be done, because it took a lot of energy to block that other stuff and hold that out. And I thought, I can't do this if I'm that tired, if that happens. So once I eliminated these large groups and it's just small, I actually feel more energized because everybody's in alignment and I'm not having to block energy out. And you expend some amount of my energy to keep them out there. And kind of in the same thing, it's in that flow state I'm not expending my own energy. I'm not sending it anywhere, nor am I bringing any in and holding it. So it's almost like it comes in, it goes out. So that I'm not 
being depleted or expending anything or taking anything on, nor am I sending any of mine to anybody else. So therefore, I'm not depleting. So that's really a key to a lot of this energy stuff is don't send it. Don't send yourself out there. All you have to do is send the intention out there. The energy will take care of itself. It's been one of the things that have saved me for doing this work. I have a motto, what's yours is yours and what's mine is mine. That's all I put out in the intention. Although there are times when, and you've probably experienced this, you get a dump on you. Like, wow, that just like hit me like a, it's like, wow, I thought I was okay and I just got dumped on. And so you have to go and clear that out and be recognizing that that can happen. But if you're feeling tired after doing this, yes, it is tiring. Let me just go backwards because when you first practice this with your brain, your brain gets exhausted. Like people go to my clinics, it's like, I'm totally exhausted. I, I, and it's like, yes, because just like if you lifted weights, you would be tired and you would be sore if you hadn't done it before. But as you build up your strength, it doesn't fatigue you so much because you're not using so much energy to stay in the space and it's coming more in the flow. So just be okay with feeling tired there, but just check in with yourself that you're not giving somebody else your energy or the animal your energy. And that's why you're depleted. Thank you, Susie. Oh, we've got a lady from Australia. Hi. Oh, I know Sue. Gail. And then Gail says, thank you. That makes perfect sense. So that was the answer to her question earlier. I'm um, just making sure I've not missed anybody. Oh, this is a really good one. It is completely different than Masterson. A lot of people have said, oh, you do Masterson method because I mentioned bladder meridian. Okay. I mean, the bladder meridian is from Chinese medicine and it's just a governing meridian in the body. So I just use it as the communicator for the, the body and letting the horse know I'm going to work with them. So let me just really briefly say the difference between Masterson and me. I'm going to work at a distance all the time. If I'm looking for spiritual or emotional triggers or trauma, I am never going to put my hand on that horse ever. Okay. I'm going to be at a distance, probably at least 10 feet. If I'm doing it remotely, thousands of miles. So here's the other thing from my background in the human world and trauma, trauma, like a mental, emotional, physical trauma gets stored in the body somewhere. And each time there's another traumatic event, it tends to go to where it got stored. So just like us, we have a favorite place in our body where we store our trauma, our attention. And you can notice that every time you get angry, you can feel it in the same spot. This is essentially what's happening with our horses. So I want to release the emotional charge on a particular area of the body where that horse holds its tension or trauma and have that release. Because if you do not release the emotional charge and it keeps going to that same spot, Again and again, each time the horse experiences a similar event, eventually that's going to turn into a physical problem. Okay, so that's why I'm going to back up from Masterson and work at the level before. So if you don't ever release the emotional charge, you can do all the body work and keep doing the body work and keep finding the same thing over and over again because it never got it released emotionally. I, I love Masterson work and in no way saying it's not valid or anything like that. I'm just saying I'm going to go in and look for 
emotional charges so that hopefully when they do Masterson and all that, that it's going to have a greater chance of holding for a longer amount of time because that emotional charge isn't getting activated again and again. And you can probably notice that even in people too. It's like, I keep having that same injury at the same place. Well, that's where your body decided to put all your tension. So it weakened that part of your body. So now it's more susceptible to physical injury or disease. So um, I think that's, in a nutshell, the differences. I'm also, in my trauma release process, I don't do it in the absence of the owner. I would never do a trauma release if the owner weren't there. Because it would make no sense for me to do it because of the shared trauma and the fact that I'm asking the owner and the horse to make a pack together that neither one of them has to hold each other's stuff. And that owner is giving the horse permission to let it go if they're ready. And that owner is there to find out what needs to change in that horse's environment to support them not going back to the old way or having that trauma reappear. So there's really lots of differences. And the other really important part is usually with Masterson, you hold, when you find the place in the body, you hold through the release. You hold that spot through the release process. Me, if I find, I will turn my body away. I will merely look at a spot. I see it. I immediately take my attention off it because you can't release something emotional if somebody is staring at you going, would you release that tension in your back? And then they stare at your back and you're like, now I'm really self-conscious. And now it's even worse. I will just put my attention on that spot and then let them release it if they're ready. I want to take all the energy and the focus off of that spot so that they can then have the choice and the ability to release it without feeling like I'm expecting something or looking for something. So it's just the difference of working between a physical and an emotional space on that. So yeah, there's similarities, but mostly differences. Thank you, Jennifer. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard for people to know because they see similarities, they think things are the same. And again, it looks the same maybe, but yeah, this is when we go, okay, what is the reason behind what you're doing and what are you trying to accomplish? And then you'll see why Masterson does it the way he does it and I do it the way I do it. We're working from two different intentions. So they cannot be the same if we have two different intentions. We've got a question from uh, T. Do you ask the horse what it needs? When I start something, I just tell the horse, I'm going to let your body talk to me. And it's funny, they will show us what they need. I find that I don't have to ask a whole lot of questions because a lot of times the initial release thing can be traumatizing in itself for a horse. Like, you know, I'm on the spot and what are you going to do to me? What's happening? And I let them just get a flavor for the energy and maybe they have a release or something and they get to feel like, well, she didn't chase me down. She didn't tie me up. She didn't make me stay here. I got to move in and out. Okay. Okay. I can trust that. At some point during that process, I'm watching very carefully. Like I may start where a normal place, just like humans, we hold it here in our shoulders a lot. Well, horses will hold it up in their pole a lot. So you can generally find some tension up in that spot. So I may just start there as an easy way to ease into the energy and letting them know what it's like instead of going to, that's the worst part right there, isn't it? Yeah, okay. That could be harder for them. I want to ease them into the process. So I start at the lightest place. 
And, and so they go, Ooh, okay. And then what's interesting, a lot of times I'll watch them and I'll see where they point to, or they may actually position their body. Once they understand what I'm doing, they will come over and position their body to a certain spot and go, would you just do that one? And, and you go, okay. And so it can be very interactive then if you're watching and, and noticing the horse will tell you where that place is. I think it's just in the intention that I'm here to help you. That's the thing. I wish I made it really complicated and then you had to learn a whole bunch of stuff. No, it's it's very intuitive and you just go with the flow and go, huh, I think that horse told me it's over there. Let me check. Oh, okay. Yep, it was. So and he goes, oh, thanks for noticing. And then they go and release it. It's a pretty fascinating process actually and quite gratifying. And, and like you said before, it's funny because I go, okay, just keep your composure. And then when I see a horse with a big release, I'm like, yay. And it's like never old. It's like, oh gosh, this is why I do this. It's confirmation that, oh yeah, I was right. It, it's working uh, because we like to see visual things, don't we, sometimes? Yes. Um, or more often than not. Dee's just said that thank you makes sense. That's brilliant. Right. I think if you want to talk about anything else, Susan, but if not, I think we'll we'll wrap it up. I was just looking at the time. It's like, oh my gosh, it seems like time just went by really fast. I don't mind. And it's lovely because people have got to ask some questions. I'm going to pop you out shortly, but before you go, I just want to tell people you're going to be doing a chat with Josh. So that should be exciting. We haven't got a date for that. So I'll let you know when that's going to happen. We talked about the trip to the UK. So as soon as everything's settled, I'll put a note on as well. Yes, Josh Nichol. <laughs> Sorry, I was going to add it into, but I didn't want to interrupt you. I was having a blonde moment, so I do apologise. I'm thinking, <laughs> right, okay. Obviously, you picked up on that. It's you and Josh Nichol. Oh, my goodness. And the trip to, to the UK, as soon as we've got dates and, and more uh, details, we can talk about that, can't we? Anything you want to add to add? <laughs> Dr. Susan See, I remembered your name. (laughs) Oh, thank you. That feels good. And it's really funny, though, just as a side note here, because I tell people sometimes at the clinic, well, when I'm working in that space, I don't necessarily remember things or your name. So please don't take offense at it because I'm in a place where words don't matter. It's just about feelings. And it's a strange thing because we really rely on words. And and in that space, working with the horse, it's such a beautiful thing when there's no words necessary. Just to think about a word sometimes makes me really fatigued. <laughs> That's why I say it. They have to just be on their little roll coming out. Otherwise, if I have to stop and think about it, it's like that's too much trouble. Because actually, sometimes if you've gone to that place, you realize there's no words to describe it. Yeah. No human words can describe this space. Which I'm sure... A lot of people have felt, but maybe don't realize they have. Those moments when out for a leisurely ride and you feel your horse wants to go that bit faster and you go into a canter and you think, oh my God, I feel like I'm just part of the horse. That lovely feeling, or you're sat in a field and your horse comes and just puts the nose near you or just says, hi, I'm here, I can hear you. Especially sometimes if you're having a bit of a day, uh, toots tends to push me over. I'll be doing something. poo picking and I've got my head down and I'm doing stuff and then I feel this bump in the back of my back and I go okay sorry <laughs> and she's like hello <laughs> you're here not there <laughs> yeah she's, she's just saying drop your thoughts and just be present and it's quite funny and then she'll go off and she'll look at me I go okay I've got the message <laughs> so 
We've all experienced it at different times in a different way. And it's something that we can all do as well, which is brilliant because that's what you promote. That's what you are telling people that this is something that everybody can learn, but just be patient and look for the smallest thing within yourself as well and don't get beat up if you think oh I'm not getting this because that's a block that's you know that's just a block straight away and just acknowledge what you notice acknowledge a a change in the energy acknowledge something you see in your horse when I say change in energy it's almost like the birds are tweeting there's lots of activity and then all of a sudden it goes really really quiet and it's like a storm's about to come and it's so peaceful that's the bit that's the sweet bit that you think yeah that's a connection anyway Susie I think we better wrap this up now I'm going to pop Susie out and then do you want to say bye I do I was going to say wait don't (laughs) (laughs) yeah so I, I just want to say thank you for everybody that is here and that supports all of this that we are all trying to do and we are gaining in numbers so I appreciate everybody and appreciate coming together and I appreciate Ronnie doing these kind of things because it does bring more awareness. So I will say goodbye and thank you. <laughs> An amazing lady. Even I get starstruck, if that's the right word, or tongue-tied, as you notice, and forget things. So yeah, Susie and Josh Nickel are going to do a, a joint interview. And there's also a competition going to be in there but need to be present to be in the competition i'll explain more about that when we've got a date set so that should be exciting i'm really looking forward to that thank you everybody i really appreciate your comments it's lovely for susie Uh, and for myself too it's nice once again thank you so much for your support go play and have fun with your horses thank you very much take care and uh bye for now You've been listening to Ronnie King at Equine Voices. Thank you for listening and speak to you soon.